Well, speaking of tidbits and interesting information, uh, I wanted to share something that I read in a, in a book. And it's just a little story that um, an individual by the name of Peggy Kay um, from Portage, Michigan shared. And um, she said, while driving to church on Easter Sunday a few years ago, I told my children the Easter story. She said, this is the day we celebrate Jesus coming back to life. Right away, she says, my son Kevin, three, piped up from the back seat. Will, be, will he be in church today, Mom? <laughs> and so I was thinking of that story, and you all reacted kind of the same way I did when I first read that. Um, we react the same way. We, we kind of chuckle and we think, oh, how cute. I can just imagine I, I, when I was reading that story, sitting in the front seat of the car with my wife and my son being in the back seat, hearing him saying that and turning to my wife and saying, how cute, he thinks Jesus is going to be in church today. That is really special. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus did once walk the earth as a man. This is a fact that we all accept by faith because... We're not alive to see Him, and, and we don't know Him in that way. The question then becomes, can we really appreciate stories such as the resurrection account in the same light as the disciples who were actually there? Think about it. When Jesus approached each of His disciples and asked them to follow Him, did they immediately recognize him as God? I believe that in their spirit they may have sensed that there was something extraordinary about him and, and known that they should have followed him, but they didn't immediately identify him as God, did they? In fact, the Jews uh, totally misunderstood who the Messiah was supposed to be. And all of his followers were Jews. And throughout the beginning of his ministry, they often referred to him as rabbi or teacher. But it was through following him that they came to believe that he was not just a man, but he was God's son. Jesus' followers knew his true humanity. And quite honestly, sometimes when I think about that, I'm a little jealous. They heard his laugh. They saw him weep. They knew what he looked like. They were able to look into his eyes. That is why as we examine today's passage in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to try and go beyond the basic facts of the story. We've heard the resurrection story many times. That Jesus lived and died and, and rose again. But today I want to take a fresh look at this account of the resurrection so that we hopefully can see the event in a new light and come away with a deeper appreciation for what this event meant to his followers and more importantly what it means to us as believers. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to Mark uh, chapter 16.
going to start in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for, for uh, trembling and astonishment had gripped them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him, while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard it that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Some of Jesus' followers went to his tomb after the Sabbath to anoint his dead body and found that he had risen from the dead. What an incredible story. But what an incredible shock that must have been to his followers at the time. You see, Scripture teaches us that Jesus was and Jesus is both fully God and fully man. But what image do we have of Jesus in our minds? We may have a picture in our minds of one of the many famous artist renditions of Jesus, but it is likely that none of them were even accurate. And do those paintings really help us to know Jesus the man as his disciples did over 2,000 years ago? You see, it is the reaction of his followers during the resurrection account in Mark that reveals they knew Jesus as a living, breathing human being and that they believed him to be dead initially. And I want to go over and draw out a couple of points from the scripture that lead me to that conclusion. You see, they were going to the tomb, first of all, the day after the Sabbath to anoint Jesus' body. That was the setting of this story. Jesus was crucified on that Friday, but the coming of the Sabbath the next day, which is Saturday, prevented them from giving Jesus a proper burial. So the women set out as early as they could the morning after the Sabbath to anoint his body. One author wrote, The anointing was not for the purpose of preserving the body necessarily, because embalming was not really practiced by the Jews, but it was a single act of love and devotion on behalf of his followers. 
The mere fact that they did this implies that they expected his dead body to still be there, right? The second thing I want to point out is the reaction of both women who went to the tomb. And even all those who were told later that he had risen. After the women arrived at the tomb, found the body gone, and were told by the angel that Jesus had risen, the scripture says they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The women themselves seemed to be frightened and confused by what they had just seen. Twice the scripture records Jesus appearing to people who went back and then reported it to the others. And I'm referring to this specific text. And the reactions were quite curious as well. Verse 10 says they refused to believe it. And then another report comes back. And in verse 13 it says they did not believe them either. Without seeing the empty tomb or the risen Lord, some of the other followers couldn't believe that he wasn't dead. But you see, the other thing that we see throughout this story is that the stage had been set so that Jesus' followers could see and believe. Verses 3 and 4 start to describe the women approaching the tomb. And it says they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. So let me ask you this. For whose benefit was the stone rolled away? Did the risen Lord need somebody to open the door of his tomb for him to get out? No. I'm sure God knew these women could not obviously move the stone for themselves. But he also knew they needed to see inside. So the verses following those say, Entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. And it says that they were amazed. And in this context, that word amazed means to be overwhelmed with wonder and even distressed and alarmed. So it incorporates amazement, but also a little bit of fear and trepidation. Now notice also that the angel refers to Jesus as Jesus the Nazarene. So he was kind of pointing out Jesus' humanity and saying, the human being that was once crucified and laid in this tomb is not here anymore. He's, He's referring to Jesus as Jesus the Nazarene, referring to where he was from, his hometown, where his family was. And I like that the angel made sure to draw the women's attention to the place where the body was and pointed out, look, it's not there anymore. Imagine being one of Jesus' followers at that time. Here they had met this incredible religious teacher and they followed him for years and they came to believe he was 
in fact, the Son of God. And just after they began to believe these things, they saw him put to death. What a shock. They watch him die. How gut-wrenching, how agonizing. They see him buried, put in the tomb, sealed up. And then a couple of days later, some, some of the followers, some of the women go out to anoint his body, only to find that it's not there anymore. Then there's an angel sitting in there, saying, hey, I don't know why you're looking here for Jesus. He's, he's gone. He rose from the dead. And at first they can't really believe it. I don't know if I would either. I think I would do one of these and say, is this really happening? Is this, is this real? Are you really there? But it was important for Jesus' followers to see that his body was not there in order to believe he had risen from the dead. Right? I think it would be just as important for us today to see that his body was not there in order for us to really truly believe that someone wasn't just trying to pull one over on us. But why? Why is it important? Well, let's try to imagine Jesus' story and our faith 2,000 years later without the resurrection. So let's take the whole gospel, the gospel story that we know, and let's just take out the resurrection piece for a moment. You see, this is why it's important that he rose from the dead, and this is even more important why his followers had to see that he rose from the dead. Because number one, if he had not risen from the dead, he would have been a liar. And we don't serve a liar, do we? We serve the author of truth. Amen? Amen. We don't serve a liar. But remember, Scripture, to, to the disciples, and, and this is coming out of Matthew 16, chapter, or chapter 16, verse 21, to the disciples, Jesus said that he was going to die and rise again. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem after suffering many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. But not only did he tell his followers, his disciples, that he was going to die and rise three days later, but he told everybody else. He told the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the very ones that were persecuting him, that he was going to die, that he was going to rise three days later. Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 and 63 records, Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, they called him that deceiver, said, after three days, I am to rise again. Boy, were they in for a surprise. I don't know about you, but that's incredible to me. I, I, uh, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but 
I just always appreciated how Jesus really calmly took in stride everything the Pharisees and Sadducees threw at him. And he always got them. He always got them. Right? Always loved that. Anyway, sorry. So, he told everybody that he was going to rise from the dead three days later. And if he wouldn't have, he would have been a liar. And I don't think, me personally, I wouldn't be following a liar. But thank God Jesus is not a liar. You see, because no rational person can be expected to believe a liar. But we don't believe a liar. We believe in the author of truth. Not even the Pharisees could prove that he rose from the dead. Think about it. Here was their victory. Here was their moment. They had finally eliminated this Jesus, this one who was, um, who was pulling everybody away from them. And all of a sudden, a couple of days later, all his followers are going around saying, oh, he rose from the dead. They must have been dumbfounded. What do we got to do to get rid of this guy? Right? But here's one simple fact. Think about it. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, all they would have had to do was roll away that stone and pull out his body for everybody to see and say, here he is, the dead Jesus. But you know why they didn't do that? Because they couldn't do it because he wasn't there. Amen? Another reason why they needed to see that he had risen from the dead. Because if there had been no resurrection, Christianity would have died with Jesus. You see, the best way to end a movement is to eliminate the leader of that movement. Eliminate the leader and the followers will eventually lose heart. They'll give up. They'll go home. So many of these movements are leader-focused, leader-driven. And obviously, this one was no exception. Eliminate the leader, and the followers, followers will get discouraged. They will lose heart. And not only did Jesus' followers not lose heart, but they changed the world through their testimony. They, they couldn't deny what had happened. In fact, not only couldn't they not deny it, but they had to tell everybody. They were compelled to share what they had witnessed. They changed the world because of that. If you read the Gospel account, before they had seen the risen Jesus, they were sad, they were dejected, they were scared. Then after the resurrection... Boy, what a sight to see. We know the day of Pentecost. We know what happened then. Because Jesus was not dead. He was alive. And ultimately, just about every one of the apostles went to their own death testifying to the truth of the resurrection. You see, a, a rational person, a sane person, may try to convince you of something, but if they don't truly believe it themselves, they're not going to die for it. Another thing, if there, 
If there had been no resurrection and if we wouldn't have been able to be witnesses or have the testimony of witnesses of that resurrection, we would have no hope of rising again. Right? Paul, and I love how he puts things so bluntly. I appreciate Paul for that. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 14, and then 19 say this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain. Why? Because the resurrection is a central component to the gospel message, to what we believe. That's our blessed hope. That's our, our promise of a future. But if Jesus hadn't done it first, what proof would we have? And if the man Jesus hadn't done it, what proof would we have that a human being could rise from the dead? Sure, it's easy for God to arise from the dead. But what about me? I'm not God. I'm not even close. I think that even if they had seen Jesus after his death, without that empty tomb, it would have been easy for the naysayers and the doubters to refute their claims. People could have scoffed and said to the witnesses, you were just imagining it. It was, a, it was a dream. It was a figment of your imagination. And some people have. Other people might have said, you're just seeing him in spirit. That's, that's his spirit coming back to, to tell you everything is okay. But they didn't just see Jesus in spirit, did they? They saw his resurrected, glorified body. Thomas was able to place his hands in his wounds. How incredible. I don't know if they would have been able to believe that they could have raised from the dead or have risen from the dead if they hadn't seen Jesus the man do it first. They knew Jesus as a man, as one of them. They, they walked with him, they talked with him, they had lived with him for over three years. And here his dead body was gone. And then a few days later or or weeks later, here he is walking with them, talking with them, fixing them food, right? That's how you know he physically rose from the dead, not just the spirit. He wanted to have a good piece of fish. I think that's pretty incredible. You know, and here's the thing. We've heard the resurrection story over and over and over again. And so sometimes I think that we become a little bit numb to the real importance of it. I have been raised with the resurrection story all of my life in one church or another. 
And I just simply accept it as fact, not really thinking about what it really means to me. But I know that I can't raise myself from the dead. And I know that I've never seen another human being raise themselves from the dead. All my beloved family members and friends that have gone on are exactly where they were the last time I saw them. For now. But because I know that Jesus Christ came down, took the form of a man, lived a life on earth, died, and then rose again in bodily form, that gives me hope that I can do it too. Or that God will do it for me at least. But just imagine somebody telling you, oh, you can rise from the dead without ever having any, seen anybody else do it. Wouldn't it be as easy to believe, would it? Wouldn't it be as easy to accept, would it? What an awesome sign, what an awesome miracle that this man rose from the dead. And that's what the empty tomb means for us today. Just imagine if those women, women had come to the tomb and it had been closed. The rock never, the stone never rolled away. And then coming back and trying to tell somebody, Jesus is not in there. You're going to have to take my word for it. He's not in there. I tend to think that this was a bigger spectacle than we can even appreciate from the gospel stories. Because everybody around must have known that that tomb was empty. His crucifixion had drawn such a large crowd. Afterwards, they had posted a Roman guard in front of the tomb. Where was the Roman guard? They were gone. People knew that this had happened. And there was no way the Pharisees and Sadducees were going to stop this from getting out. Because his body was not there. Hallelujah, the empty tomb. And I think the fact that He rose from the dead before us can give us all that hope. I mean, that's really what we hope in, I, I believe, in this lifetime, don't we? We're, despite what the media wants to, to tell you, we're never going to achieve the perfect life this side of heaven. There's always going to be grief. There's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be problems. Physical, spiritual, emotional. But we've got this promise that we hold on to, that we cling on to, that someday, when our time comes, God's going to wipe every tear from our eye, right? And we're not going to have to deal with this anymore. It's all because Jesus went before us and did it first. I think that the fact that Jesus physically rose from the dead makes the resurrection more significant and more important to us than we may even realize. Again, his followers were witnesses to his life, his death, and his resurrection. So incredible. And his resurrection strengthened their faith. 
His resurrection encouraged them to be His witnesses throughout the world. You can't imagine what these people went through to testify to the truth of the resurrection. You can't imagine what the early Christians suffered to testify to the resurrection. But they had seen something so miraculous, so incredible that they couldn't deny it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, it was so compelling that, again, they stuck to their testimony even to their own deaths. Josh McDowell, I don't know if anybody knows who Josh McDowell is. He's a famous Christian author, he's a scholar, and he's what we call an apologist, somebody that contends for the faith and, and um, um, you know, will not debate, but argue for the faith, you know, argue for rational proofs of why we can believe what we believe. But Josh McDowell, you see, used to be a skeptic, a non-believer, in fact, Josh McDowell was a law student at one time, and he tells the story that um, at, at school he was, I don't know where he was, maybe in a cafeteria or something, and he kept seeing this group of people. And this group of people was annoyingly happy to him. And eventually he wanted to know why this group of people was annoyingly happy. And so one day he went over and approached them and talked to them. And through their conversation, he, he found out that they were Christians. And so he said, ah, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And so one of the Christian people in the group said, I'll tell you what, I dare you to give it your best shot. Prove Christianity wrong. And so as a law student, he really took this challenge seriously. And he set out. You know, he was determined. He, he did research, he says, for years. He said even he, he, in fact, he dropped out of law school for a while because he was so engrossed in this quest he had to disprove Christianity. Well, you know what happened? His quest to disprove Christianity got him saved. Hallelujah. And in his book, uh, entitled More Than a Carpenter, he writes, A student at the University of Uruguay asked me, Professor McDowell, why couldn't you find some way to refute Christianity? He says, I answered, for a very simple reason. I was unable to explain away the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real event in history. That one simple fact changed that man's life. But I would argue that one simple fact changed ours as well. I thank God that Jesus was willing to humble himself, come down, take the form of a man, live a man's life, suffer a man's life, die a man's death, and rise in that same body again so that we would have that same hope. Hallelujah.
You know, I've, I've been not an avid Facebook user, but I do like to check it to see how everybody else is doing. I don't actually, I, I'm guilty of this. I, I don't actually post myself. I just like to know that everybody else that I care about is okay. So I'll go on Facebook and see how, what everybody else is posting and how they're doing. And I've noticed over the past several weeks that people have been posting um, notes of thanksgiving on Facebook. And I have to admit, for some reason at first, I didn't make the connection between, you know, days of thanksgiving and thanksgiving. <laughs> and then I had a light bulb moment where I figured it out. Thanksgiving's coming up. But let me tell you, Jesus did not have to do what he did. He had to for our sakes, but he didn't have to. That was a choice that he made. You see, he existed in eternity as God. But he chose to, the Bible says, humble himself and become a man, taking the very form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. He didn't have to do that. And so as I read all these posts about what people are thankful for, their family, their friends, their health, their jobs, even very simple things, and I agree, we should be thankful for all those things, but I believe that we hear the resurrection story so much that we lose an attitude of thankfulness not only for what it means for us, but for the fa very fact that Jesus came and did that for us. I'm thankful. I'm thankful today for my Lord and Savior. I'm thankful that He did that for me. I'm thankful that He did that for you. I'm thankful that He did that for all of us. And so I believe that, you know, as we celebrate Thanksgiving and even as we gather together on Tuesday and on maybe on Thursday or whenever with our families, let's be thankful once again for Jesus doing that, for Jesus physically rising from the dead and giving us that hope. I don't ever want to take that hope for granted. I don't want to ever just feel like I'm entitled to that hope. It was a free gift from God. And without that hope, I would be devastated and lost. So let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. I'm going to close in prayer, but let's take a moment and let's just pray a prayer of thanksgiving. I don't, I don't think we need to make it elaborate, but let's just go to God and in our hearts just tell Him, you know, God, maybe I haven't appreciated the resurrection story as much as I should, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Lord, we just come before you today. We open up our hearts to you today. And God, we thank you for this reminder, this reminder for all of us that we have something precious, that we have what we call a blessed hope of one day rising again. 
We thank You, O Lord God, for sending Your Son. We thank You, Jesus, for coming and humbling Yourself and taking the form of a man, living that life of a man, dying a horrible death, all in order to rise again so that You could open up a door for us to do the same. Thank You, Lord God, for what You did. And Lord, I just pray that as we gather together with our families, that if the opportunity presents itself, that maybe we could share a little bit of the resurrection story and why we need to be thankful for it. But God, right now, we just give you glory and praise for what you have done and for the promise that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.